Well, five or six months ago, Mari from Newman and Karen Swenson from our church uh, staff uh, approached me about, Jeff, would you do a special Sunday, special message on immigration? And I had some questions for them. We discussed it. We were both praying about it. We're all praying about it. And, and we decided, yes, that, that is something that the Lord would have. So actually, five or six months ago, we decided to do a special Sunday on immigration. So this is not just kind of response to the last three weeks, the flurry of activity with the executive order of the, of the president and the flurry of court activity. Although I would say this, that in the providence of God, this is great timing with all that stuff so that we could think biblically and Christianly about these great matters in our culture. Let me just ask this question right at the outset. Why would we take a special Sunday on immigration? Because my normal practice, of course, is to go through books of the Bible, about a paragraph at a time. So why this special topical message to see what the Bible has about immigration? I can, I can think of at least six reasons just right off. First of all, there are so many immigrants in the world, some 240, maybe upwards of 300 million, if you can count total numbers, of business people, expats of all kinds, international students, refugees, you know, almost 300 million people who are migrating around the globe, that would be a huge nation. And we've never seen anything like, quite like it. Also, there are so many immigrants right here in the United States, 42 million alone in the United States, an incredible number. Moreover, not just in the world, not just in the United States, but in our city of Houston, as Marifer mentioned on the video, one out of four people in greater Houston are foreign-born. One out of four. We are now the most ethnically diverse city in the United States percentage-wise. Not New York City, not L.A., not Chicago, but right here in Houston. Fourth reason, the world, the country, the city, but our church right here at Woods Edge. We have so many foreign-born people who are part of the Woods Edge church family. We don't know exactly how many. Uh, is it 500? Is it 600? Is it more? We, we can count at least 47 countries around the world that people at Wood's Edge are from. I bet there's more that we just don't know about you. And uh, so that means that if you saw a list, essentially every significant major country in the world has somebody attending Wood's Edge. I mean, so we're a very diverse group, which we love because that reflects the heart of God and our destiny in heaven. Now, besides all of that, that we've got so many people here, it's just a huge issue in our everyday life because of the world that we live in, you know, the threat of terrorism because of the fact that in the United States there are 11 million undocumented workers, and that's an issue. Uh, because of the presidential election, this was one of the key issues because of the recent activity with the executive order from the president and the court's uh, uh, activity about that, that it's just a huge issue in our culture, and we want to think biblically and Christianly about it. But besides all of that, one reason to, to uh, deal with this passage from the Bible is because immigration and immigrants are huge in the Scriptures. It is surprising how prominent this topic is in Scripture, and I'm just going to kind of walk us through that a little bit later, and you're going to see that. Now, if you are a Christ follower, if you consider yourself a follower of Christ, and that's just about all of us, then we are under orders. We are men and women under orders. We take our authority from Jesus Christ. And so if he speaks on an issue, we don't take our cues and messages from a political party or a media outlet, media outlet or a, a blogger. We take our perspectives 
from Jesus Christ and His Word, the Bible. And it turns out that on this issue of immigration, the Bible has so much to say about it. It does not mean that every political policy issue is dealt with from the Scriptures, and we believers can disagree about aspects of it. Like, you know, what's the best way to protect our country from threat of terrorism? Nobody wants to let in a terrorist um, into our country. The government has responsibility to, for protection. And there are other aspects that Christians can disagree on. But it is surprising to me, this large core of perspective that we're going to see today, four, five, six basic attitudes that are more foundational than any policy issue that speak to God's heart on immigration and immigrants. And I would say this. I would say that largely the church in America is missing this. I'm just not hearing much at all about it from, from the church at large in the country. Now, the first two services, this message, I just sense that the people of Wood's Edge are, are just, you, you're such lovers of people and you're such uh, responders, and I just love your heart. But probably a lot of us need a little bit of recalibration. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's what the scriptures say, including me. Including me. Let me, clarif- <clears throat> Let me clarify two terms that I'm going to use a lot uh, immigrants, expats, foreigners. Uh, all of these terms I'm going to use synonymously as uh, someone who was born in one country and lives in another country. We've got about 42 million immigrants in the United States. The biblical term often is translated in English versions as sojourner, but it's immigrant, sojourner, expat, uh, foreign, foreign-born, all of those terms. Now, besides that, the second term I want to define is a smaller subset of immigrants who are refugees. They immigrate because of persecution, because of war, because of violence, because of conflict. Now, that's a much smaller group. Now, uh, how many do we have in the United States? We're not sure completely. Maybe up to 3 million, maybe 2 to 3 million uh, refugees as opposed to 42 million of all the immigrants. But still, that's a lot of people, 2 to 3 million people. But you ought to be aware that worldwide there are 60 million refugees now, some of those are displaced within their country, like in Syria. There, are 22 million, there were 22 million people in Syria before the war. 11 million of them have either been killed or they have been displaced at various places within their country. So sometimes they're within their country. Many times they cross lines like here in Houston. As Mary Fur in the video pointed out, Houston is the largest receiving city for refugees in the United States, and only three countries in the world receive more people. So Houston is sort of an epicenter. Woods Edge has been involved with refugee and immigration ministries for a long time, for years and years. We are right now, as a, as a, as a world, we are in the, largest, the greatest refugee crisis since World War II. More refugees, percentage-wise, than any time since World War II, in the last 12 months, 10 million refugees around the world. So we need to think biblically, Christianly, upon these, on these vital issues. All righty. Where does the Bible talk about immigration? Well, first of all, without using the term, we've got repeated examples of immigrants and refugees all through Scripture. Yeah, let's, let's begin right at the outset in Genesis 4. Uh, there's Adam and Eve, there's Cain and Abel, and after Cain kills Abel, uh, God sends Cain out from Eden, his homeland, as an immigrant. He's basically banished. He's east of Eden. I just finished John Steinbeck's novel, East of Eden, and he was um, compelled by God to 
emigrate from his country, never to return. Uh, then you go to the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, and God basically spreads out all the people there to various nations and countries. And so at that point in Genesis 11, uh, most of the people are immigrants as God scatters them and spreads their languages out. Then the very next chapter, we come to one of the milestone events in Scripture when God creates a holy people, the Jewish people. And to do that, he chooses one man, Abraham, and he uh, tells him to leave his country, to become an immigrant, and to move from Ur of the Chaldees, modern-day Iraq, to the promised land, what's going to be the promised land. And so Abraham is an immigrant for the rest of his life. And his families, his grandson Joseph, Jacob's great-grandson Jacob's son Joseph, will be sold in slavery by his brother. So essentially he's the first guy that we know about who's trafficked, as he will be sent as a slave to a foreign land to Egypt where he spends the rest of his life. Uh, Later on, uh, Jacob and all of his family, at this point there are about 70, 75 Israelis, Jews, this incipient nation, and all of them, because of famine, migrate from the promised land, modern-day Israel, to Egypt, where they spend the rest of their lives and the next 400 years. So the book of Genesis is just about all dealing with immigration and immigrants, and that continues right into Exodus through Deuteronomy, because in Exodus, God raises up Moses, has him lead 2.5 million, not just immigrants, but refugees, out of oppression and slavery, fleeing violence in, in Egypt, and they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And during that time, we're going to read some passages how God has some very, very strong things to say to the immigrants who come am- amongst them. You know, throughout the Bible, this continues from Genesis to Revelation. For example, the book of Ruth, Elimelech and Naomi, Jewish couple, because of famine, flee to Moab. Their two sons marry foreign women, Moabites. All three men die, and Naomi and the two daughters were going to look to return. One daughter stays, and the other daughter, Ruth, refuses to stay because Naomi has loved her so strongly. She basically says to, to, to Naomi, Unforgettably, in Ruth 1.16, she says, I am not leaving you. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And she immigrates to Israel. Uh, Boaz, a Jewish man, welcomes her, shows kindness to her, later marries her. They have a great grandson who becomes King David, the king of the nation, and a future descendant who is the son of David, Jesus Christ himself from an immigrant. Much of the prophets involve immigration, either like Jonah, they're sent to a foreign land, like Nineveh, modern-day Mosul in Iraq, or they are, spend their life there like Daniel in Babylon. Daniel spent his entire life as an immigrant in Babylon. And other prophets would speak to uh, Jews who are in exile, that is, who are immigrants in other countries, or they are there with them Many of the prophets, much of the prophets, deals with immigration and immigrants throughout the rest of the Old Testament. In the New Testament, you've got uh, Jesus uh, treating and speaking of uh, uh, immigrants with such love and care, such as the woman of the well in John 4, the Roman centurion, Roman soldier in Matthew 8, other examples of that, the way he treats immigrants or foreigners. 
uh, after the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, Jesus scatters the early church and their immigrants, spreading the gospel. You know, whether or not it's Peter, Paul, Barnabas, Priscilla, Aquila, the disciples, he just kind of scatters the church and their immigrants to take the gospel around the Roman Empire. All of that is part of uh, the continuing uh, saga of immigrants and immigration that, that really goes from Genesis to Revelation, peppers the Scripture, especially in the Old Testament. Now, besides all of that, there are, f- there are a number of passages, I'm only going to read four or five of them, that f- speak very strongly to our attitude towards the foreigner or the immigrant. And um, there's a word, a Hebrew word that's used, ger, and it is often translated in our translations as sojourner, but it could easily be translated as sojourner. Uh, Tim Keller says the best translation is immigrant. It's a foreigner. It's a sojourner. It's an immigrant. It's an expat. It's somebody who's born in another country who now lives in, in your country. And God says these things about treating the immigrants. In Exodus 22, 21, God says, he says, you shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. Now, we begin here with something that we see dozens of times in the Old Testament. That is that God takes three of the vulnerable groups who have special challenges, needs, oppression, hurts. He takes the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner. And he says, uh, besides all of the kindnesses you show to anybody, particularly these three groups, your antennas ought to be up because you need to show special kindness to these people who are so vulnerable. Now, in that culture, widows are a little different than ours. They didn't have a social security. They didn't have a safety net. Uh, Without a husband or something, they might be reduced to begging and, and starvation. So they were particularly vulnerable. But orphans would be similar to our country and foreigners in many cases. God says, especially these three groups, take note. Then in Exodus 23, 9, God says, you shall not oppress a sojourner. Here he's dealing only with the foreigner. He says, you know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Now just think, that law was in effect, not just to the people of Exodus who experienced it firsthand, who were in Egypt, But for the rest of the Old Testament, you know, people who would be, you know, descendants of folks who used to be in Egypt, not first-generation immigrants. And the same thing would be true of you and I. We may not be first-generation immigrants, all of us, but all of us are immigrants. It is commonly said about the United States, particularly, that we are a nation of immigrants. I mean, unless you are, you know, like Adam and Eve in that country, we're all immigrants. It's just a matter of how many generations back you go. And God says to the Israelis, hey, you know better. You better be sensitive to the needs and the challenges of living in a foreign country with a foreign language. And God would say the same thing to us too. We know better. We are a nation of immigrants. Leviticus 19, I think the strongest passage in the Old Testament on this issue. Note this, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him, you, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you and shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. 
Now, isn't that strong language? Don't just welcome him. Don't just receive him. Don't just tolerate him, but love him. Love him as yourself. I am the Lord your God. Take note. And God has not revoked that command to each one of us. Take note and love him as you love yourself, as you would love a native born. One more, Deuteronomy 10, 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, the immigrant, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Now, God could hardly be stronger. And I could read dozens of other passages about this sort of thing. Ninety-two times the word for immigrant or sojourner occurs in the Old Testament. There are more passages. I've already talked about some of the uh, New Testament examples of it, but, but recall in Matthew 2, when the wise men come to worship the baby Jesus, what happens next? This is what we read. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. Jesus, as a baby, was a refugee and an immigrant. If you are an immigrant or a refugee, you are in good company because our Lord Jesus Christ was an immigrant and a refugee. Now, examples of Jesus, the way he treated foreigners, uh, all of that's another whole line of evidence, the prominence of it. But you know, here's a, uh, a, an interesting thought that when God takes imagery for all of us as believers, one of his primary images, metaphors, is that of the immigrant. Because not only does Ephesians 2 talk about that when Gentiles are saved, all the non-Jews, that what he's doing is that we were foreigners to the kingdom of God, and now he's made us citizens in the kingdom of God. So now we're part of the family. But then there's another train of passages in the, in the New Testament that says that every believer here is a foreigner in this earth because your home is in heaven. Now, that's throughout the, uh, or common in the New Testament, like Hebrews 11, 13 through 16, that the metaphor that God chooses for you and me, all of us are immigrants on planet earth because our real home is in heaven. So isn't that interesting that God takes this migrant imagery for all of us. We're all migrants here on this planet. But you know, among all of those reasons that I've given you a very quick survey for, the strongest single passage would have to be in Acts 17, 26 and 27, where we read, and he, God, made from one man, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Did you catch that? God sovereignly moves people and moves peoples around the globe uh, and allots their, their times and their geographical boundaries that behind all of the migration going on in the world, for whatever secondary cause, is the sovereign hand of God. And he takes even tragic things like forced migration and persecution to bring good out of it. Now, why does God do that? Well, verse 27 makes it completely clear when he says that, that is for this purpose, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. 
so they would come to know Jesus. That the ultimate purpose of God in sovereignly moving people and peoples around. Those of you who are in here who are immigrants, you didn't just happen to show up here. God is at work. I talked at between services with a woman from Holland who immigrated to the United States. When she immigrated a few years ago, she, they had great jobs. They didn't need a job. She said, we weren't Christians. We didn't need Jesus. We were fine. But God used this immigration process to bring her to Christ. And now her family knows Jesus. And God does that. And of the immigrants around the world, a disproportionate percentage, a way disproportionate percentage are either believers already or they are open to the gospel more than any other group. And God is at work moving peoples around the globe in his sovereignty to, to bring people to Christ. Now, friends, you just heard the central perspective on immigration in the United States if you're a believer. You just heard it. That this ought to be our basic perspective, not, uh, oh, no, you know, maybe a, a terrorist will get through, and, and nobody here wants terrorists to get through. But that is not your main perspective. That is the perspective of fear, not of faith. The perspective of faith says, oh, yes, God is moving around peoples, and he's saving people, and he's bringing the nations to us. Now, I am just not hearing that much in the church abroad in the United States. And if I could single out one single perspective among the five or six, I'd start right there. That is that you, if you're a believer, if you're a Christ follower, you don't think like the world thinks. You don't think like any political pundit thinks or, you know, what... Uh, uh, a TV station tells you to think. You think biblically. And the Word of God teaches not only does God love the immigrant, not only does he, should we take special heart and care for the immigrant, but that God is moving around folks, immigrants, to save them and to reach them. Here is a gospel opportunity. <clears throat> now, I don't know how that fits in with, with your thinking, but if you're like me, you're not hearing much in the press about it. I read the Wall Street Journal. I guess in the last three weeks, I have had upteen articles on immigration, and not one of them has mentioned this. But this is the biblical perspective. And if you're a Christ follower, you're no longer on your own. You're a man or a woman under authority. You take orders from the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus, says, what Jesus Christ says. This is my perspective on immigration and immigrants. And this is how I think. There are some specific issues that are not settled that we can disagree on about, you know, economy and things like that. But I do know this. My, my prime response is not fear. Oh, no. But it is faith. Oh, yeah. They're coming to us. Now, God tells us in Matthew 28 and other places, go into all the nations. And that command is still in place. And there are a lot of folks who are not coming here. But besides the fact that we're commanded to go into all the nations, the nations are coming to us like at no other time in world history. Yea, God. From time to time, there is an Iraqi family, several families actually, that show up here at Wood's Edge. I wish they were here today so I could have them stand. They're, del they're, del they're uh, delightful people. Philip is the uh, name of the first guy. They're from Iraq. They, their, their background is Muslim. They... Uh, migrated to Turkey, um, met our family, we got a missionary family in Turkey, met them there, went on to Houston, they live in southwest Houston, and they love Wood's Edge, they love Jesus, they love Jesus, such joy, in, and, and God is at work using the migrations of the people to draw for himself. After the second service, I talked with Steve Smith, who is really one of the, the leading 
strategic thinkers in the whole world on disciple-making around the world, what's going on. He now goes to Wood's Edge. See, so said, I am discipling a guy in a different country who uh, raised a Muslim in Pakistan. He was a jihadist who immigrated to Athens. Okay, man, he, he was a radical. He immigrates to, to Athens, and he was so loved by the believers there. And by the way, there's an ongoing ministry there, and we've sent Wood's Edgers to it, and we'll do it again. And he was so loved by Christians there that he comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Now he has moved back to Germany where he is an Apostle Paul to folks who are Muslims in the country of Germany. Twice they have tried to deport him from Germany back to Pakistan. And Steve tells me the moment he steps off the plane, he would be killed. He's a marked man. And there are people like that here in the United States. God is at at work saving immigrants all over the world. For example, David Platt, who wrote the book Radical that many of us love. If you haven't read Radical, I'd encourage you to get one out of a bookstore and read it. He is now the president of the Southern Baptist Mission Board, maybe the largest missions organization in the world. David Platt wrote recently these words. He said, so when we see the migrations of peoples for a multiplicity of reasons, we must recognize that every bit is occurring under the governance of God. In Acts 17, Paul says that God is doing it all for a reason, that people might seek him and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. We must remind ourselves the Lord will make no mistake. Our God aims to be sought, found, known, and enjoyed by all the peoples of the world, and he oversees their travels to that end, just like this jihadist from Pakistan. In his goodness, our God turns even the tragedy of forced migration into the triumph of future salvation. He was at a refugee camp recently in Eastern Europe. One, one Syrian woman said to a missionary, I'm tired of being tied to religion that doesn't offer any hope. I want to be a new person. She, her husband, her child came to Christ, got baptized. Her sister comes to the refugee camp. She shares the gospel with her. She comes to Christ and gets baptized. He said, he also heard a story of two Kurdish guys. You know, Kurds are uh, all over Turkey in the Middle East. They're Muslim background. And he said, these two Kurdish brothers whose families had been killed by radicals in Iraq, right in front of their eyes, which is going on. He says, upon hearing the gospel, they simply responded, we don't want to be Muslim anymore. We want to follow Jesus. He said, I could go on with story after story. Now, are there risks in proclaiming the gospel to refugees? Sure there are. But where where have we gotten the idea that Christianity is devoid of risk? Security in this world should not be prioritized over proclamation of God's word. As followers of Christ, self no longer is our God. Safety is no longer our ultimate concern. Much of our response to the refugee crisis seems to come from a foundation of fear, not faith. Much of it seems to flow from a view of the world that is far more American than biblical, far more concerned with the preservation of our country than the accomplishment of the Great Commission. And I think he's dead right. Two days ago, three days ago, Friday, there was a full-page ad in a national newspaper from 100-plus evangelical leaders. We're talking Max Lucado, Bill Hybels, Tim Keller, many other leading evangelicals. And they were sending a letter, a public letter, to President Trump saying, you know, we've got grave concerns about this moratorium. And they talked about a number of reasons for that. And they acknowledged that, you know, we we know the government has to give issues of security. We, We understand that. But that's not incompatible with compassion for people who every day they delay, it might cost them their lives because we've got Christians in the Middle East whose lives are at stake 
as well as, as they say, members of other religions or no faith at all. And every day's delay might cost them their life. Now, friends, you and I have both read the stories where ISIS has lined up six or seven members in a family and beheaded in front of one member all the other members of the family. Now, process that. And if the Christian public around the world is not concerned about this, then who is going to be? And in many cases, these are our brothers and sisters. And in other cases, these are folks, folks today who are hungry to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. So what kind of attitude ought we to have about immigration? Not primarily the safety of our, of our folks, though that is a valid concern. And certainly not primarily the U.S. economy putting your pocketbook or money over the lives and the souls of lost people. By the way, just about all economists acknowledge that, that all of the undocumented workers in the United States is great for the U.S. economy. But that's not the issue. Here is the biblical perspective. It's the gospels at stake. It's people's lives at stake. So, church, this is to me a, non, a no-brainer. This is one of the places where Christians must be distinctive unless they are worldly just like the world rather than godly like God. If we don't have a different attitude towards immigration and the refugee crisis, at that point we fail in our obedience and discipleship to Jesus Christ. This is who we are. What does the Bible teach? Let me summarize it. All through the Bible there's immigration and immigrants. It's all about it, all through the Bible. Secondly, and primarily... God has a special heart for the foreigner among you, and therefore, so must we. Special heart. Do you have a special heart for people who look differently, who talk differently than you? You better if you're a Christ follower, one of the vulnerable groups. Thirdly, if God, or thirdly, God is the sovereign God, and He moves people around so that they would come to know Him. I mean, that is vital to our perspective on this whole topic. And fourthly, we have an unparalleled gospel opportunity because the nations are coming to us and many are open to the gospel. So we must respond with faith, not fear. Let me say this to you as I close. For all of those who are in this room right now who are immigrants, I'm sure you've had all kinds of responses from those of us who were native-borns. But let me say this. Whatever other responses you've gotten out there from this church, we heartily, warmly, with all of our hearts, welcome you to this church family as equal partners in the cause and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We welcome you. We esteem you highly as our brothers and sisters. And if I could just say anecdotally, there is no friendlier, more loving group of people in Woods Edge than our Hispanic ministry, so that's just the way it is. They are. Um, three, practical, three practical responses. One, uh, the whole message was about this one, but let God guide your perspective, not the world, when it comes to immigration and refugee issues. Let God guide your perspective. Two, Love the foreigner in any way you can. Now, this means you don't be passive, that you reach out, you uh, extend a hand, that you cross a, a, any kind of a barrier, that you befriend. You're looking for people who have different cultures who are coming because you want to do what the Bible says to love the foreigner and the immigrant. 
Ask them to tell you their story. It's fascinating to hear all these stories. It's amazing in many cases. Befriend, show hospitality, get to know them. You know, there are international students who are pouring into our country. And most of them come and go after four years or more, never setting foot inside the home of a native-born American. And what a gospel opportunity we just missed. There are ministries that could set this up for you and help you a welcome a, a foreign-born student who would love to be welcomed and loved and having a meal with an American in a holiday. And who knows how God might use that. Welcome and love the foreigner. Finally, thirdly, <clears throat> pray for refugees and immigrants. You know, I, I've not done well at this, but what if, you know, I'm reading all these articles and, you know, we hear these news reports and, and if you're like me, you just kind of process that politically and, you know, agree with parts, disagree with parts. But what if, rather than just kind of uh, respond politically, we responded biblically, and every time we read an article or saw, heard a news report, we immediately, that was a prompter to pray for the refugees and the immigrants who in many cases are in very vulnerable and sometimes dangerous positions. What if every time you read an article, every time you saw a news report, that was a reminder to you to pray for them, to pray for them? That would seem to me to be a Christ-like, biblical response. Now, those are three responses for all of us. I've got one more response for some of us, not all of us, and that's this. Woods Edge has been very involved with refugee and immigrant ministry for at least 10 years, if not more. If you do not currently have a ministry, you are living in an unparalleled time of immigration crisis, uh, refugee crisis, and immigration uh, in our country, and God may want to use you. Now, God may want to use you to reach a neighbor. You know, Acts 17, God may have brought that neighbor to here for you to reach them. Or a fellow engineer at ExxonMobil or Shell. Or somebody in your network. But many of you, you can be part of the Threads of Love ministry, the Houston Welcomes Refugees ministry, the um, Revival Sports ministry that focuses down on Southwest Houston, uh, International Students Ministry, right down Gosling, Five Oaks Ministry, which largely deals with immigrants. There are all these great opportunities to love people for Christ's sake. And who knows what God might do. Stand with me, please. Lord God, I thank you that the people at Wood's Edge are great lovers. So many of them far ahead of me, Lord the way they love people with special challenges and, and, and needs. Lord God, may we respond to this issue, which is so big in our country. May we respond in a way that pleases you. Give us love. Give us opportunity. Lord, rescue us. Forgive us for responding with fear and selfishness. And guide us to respond with, with faith and with love. Help us, Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.